and welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine. And I'm Charlie Pettit, the online editor. Uh, and we're here today to have a party. Woo! Uh, we're ca- allowed for a while. Exactly. We might be allowed soon-ish. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> uh, news, news depending. Um, but um, when we're ready for it, uh, we've got the perfect issue for those who want to have a party, because we are counting down the best uh, the top 50, the best 50, 50 best party. <laughs> Where was that sentence going? I don't know. The 50 best party games ever. There we go. Yeah. Uh, we used a, as, as you know, Charlie, we use a really scientific system for not only uh, nominating them, but also um, ranking them. Um, and there'll be uh, absolutely no arguments to come from the list <laughs> that we have, we're publishing. I, I am perfectly pleased with saying, yes, no, the ranking was done by Chris. So please direct <laughs> all complaints. <laughs> For the attention of Chris Haggett, because <laughs> um, so, but it was uh, mostly it was mostly done by um, re- recommendations from our writers. So we've, we've got this is a um, something like a twenty-two page piece um, with uh, fifteen or sixteen contributors um, throwing <laughs> throwing their hat into the ring on um, the games they like, and uh, it's roughly ordered by the ones um, that everyone wants to write about uh, <laughs> to the ones um, people wanted to include, but not everyone wanted to write about. So uh, we've got some cool weird stuff in there, some stuff that's going to make you angry, and uh, it's going to be good. So argue with us online. Um, <laughs> we we also accept direct emails and post. So <laughs> don't, don't tell everyone to go online to complain, because then I'm the one that has to that's respond to people and go, no, I know, I fully agree. Yeah. This should have been number one. Yes, w- I totally agree yeah. with you. Blame Chris. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, so, uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy diving into that. We're not going to reveal what number one is. In this podcast, you you will have to uh, watch Charlie's upcoming videos, uh, or even buy the magazine. Buy the magazine. Um, Let's to uh, pick up uh, the the truth about what is the best party game ever. Um, to be fair, I don't think I have issues with number one. No, I don't think anyone does because literally everyone yeah. who I asked would they like to write something about a party game of of like their favourite party game. Um, literally, everyone came back and said, "I'd like to write about this." One. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think generally you can't argue that it's up there. No. I think like it, it just it makes sense. It's just like the top ten. It's such a personal question as well. Top like the top spicy. ten, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that yes. one. Yes. Um, one of the little features we had in in the magazine to sort of prime you for that is uh, we did a well I've, ch- I've titled a a party game safari. Yes. Uh, where we apply the um, rigorous systems and uh, cataloging that we did. <laughs> Uh, as we um, uh, uncovered ancient bones of parties from the past um, and uh, put them together with uh, cave drawings of um, things that people whispered to each other around a table, uh, <laughs> getting it slightly wrong each time. Uh, and uh, and we've put them together in a little list of um, just like the kind of party games you can see out in the wild. Uh, and so uh, we've got a little tour of that. And, uh, we might mention a couple now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to start us, kick us off with one? Uh, I mean, we've entitled Lying to Your Friends Games, which I think is my favourite genre, yes. hands down. Because it, it leaks into the sort of social deduction side yeah. of things. I love it. Yeah. The, these are like my, my jam kind of games. Um, so anything where you're someone's given a role, but nobody else knows what their role is, mm-hmm. and you're having to try and work out who it is. Are you the murderer? Are you not? Like, did you do it? Are you are you just saying that because you're trying to make me think this? Um, I 
love these games absolutely love them from like skull all the way across to like secret hitler which i appreciate i've been listening to a lot about it the the topic is divisive but if you could re-theme it incredible game like really really it's, it's divisive because people don't like secrets do they exactly exactly that um but with a re-theme it's a it's a really solid game yeah. and I, I love it just because the thing is across the group of people you sort of know you know which ones you can read really quickly so in my two separate gaming groups I know that like eyes up you can look at people and go you're you're the one you've you're hiding something I can tell straight away from your face and then you have the other friends who are too good and you really don't know until the end what they're thinking and half the time that's because they don't know what they're doing and they're just like ah, like coo I'll I'll take this are you lying and it's like I don't know have you checked your cards well yeah <sighs> makes you the best liar but it's so, really difficult to in tell. Fact, in fact, we um, we've got a little interview with uh, James Vaughan about um, from Big Potato uh, on his favourite party games and also how to make the perfect party game with Big Potato. Um, but he just mentions Coup and he well, he just happened. He just said basically any time I can lie to my friends' faces, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in, yes. uh, and uh, and so are we. Yeah, uh, really. Sliver in uh, a heart, like it's the best part. I just think it's just always really funny to either work out that someone was lying to you and that they did so really effectively or like they're they're really earnest like yeah no I think it could be this was a total lie when you've then used that information to turn on somebody else and you sit there smug like I did that yeah Um, yeah, it's it's probably my favourite style of party game yeah I'm I'm a boy any hidden information yeah like uh, I'm I'm all over it um, I th- I also I think like most games should have a hidden information in them somewhere, um, even things like uh, like even if you're if you're making a Euro game right now, why not hide the points till the end? That's why that's the thing I'm going to say to you. Hide that information. I think that's better. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, so one of the things um, I like particularly as well is um, team games, which is games that you uh, play in a team and that sort of bond you directly with someone else and your success and failure all depends on whether you're going to be able to uh, complete the tasks or um, communicate properly with each other um, in the same team yeah so things like even things like 20 second showdown uh, which is a uh, a very silly game all about um, completing tasks as a as a team Um, doing things like touching the nearest fern or wheelbarrowing someone through the nearest doorway, um, which in itself is can be um, it's, it's it's its own silly thing. But like when you and the buddy are like really into the game, and uh, you do have the wheelbarrow thing comes up, uh, watching uh, your friend immediately drop as if he's about to do like the worm. Yeah. Um, but actually, you're going to grab you're going to grab his legs, and you're immediately going to dash towards that doorway. You know, Chaos. concussions or not. Um, <laughs> That's that's pretty good, and also I think it's really good for like bonding with people. Yes, because uh, you don't have time to think to be awkward. That's it. That's it. You just got to get on with it, and then you're like, ah, now we're friends. I mean, even things like Pictionary, like when you're on you know, a team with with people you don't know, and realizing like you've got so much in common, um, that's that's always really nice, and you sort of make a connection there, hmm. um, uh, really nicely. Um, anyway, so that's a little taste of our party game safari. So what else do we have in the magazine? I'll tell you. Uh, we have a, <laughs> we have uh, maybe one of my favourite, my favourite game 
uh, columns uh, by the fabulous Annie Norman. Uh, She's who, great. Who creates, uh, we, I think we spoke about her on the last podcast, actually. Um, uh, she, creates the, she creates gerbils and hamsters, <laughs> um, as well as lots of... Um, guinea pigs. I think they're they are guinea pigs, <laughs> right, sorry. She creates some, um, like, fabulous female miniatures yeah. um, through all periods of history. Lots of them realistic, some of them unrealistic, but, um, like, uh, it's the largest range in the world or something like that of, of, of lady miniatures. Um, she does it through Bad Squiddo. It's Bad Squiddo. Um, but she's worth checking out. So the website itself is brilliant because you can get all your miniatures and stuff, but she's also really great on social media. Like, she's yeah. built um, a proper nice community to be involved yeah. with and I think she still streams every Sunday she certainly was for a little while because mm-hmm. I tuned into quite a few um, so she's quite she's very witty to talk to or to, to listen to in, yeah. in my thing but obviously well she's extremely funny in this uh, I, this uh, so her, the game she picks is um, Survive: Escape from Atlantis, which is like what again one of my favourite games, um, mainly because it's got some destructive element to it, and I think that's just something that works for me. She just discusses that, talks about an uh, Atlantean squirler, if you know what that is. No, no one, no one does. Nope. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, so um, so that's uh, that's Annie. Um, I think the best part of that though was that there's. There's a part in it where she describes um, moving around the, uh, I want to say miniatures, but not miniatures, moving around the icons, um, that are different creatures and the noises that she chooses to make mm. as they get moved around, um, which is great in print. And then you read it out to me when you received it because you were mm. giggling away when you got it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what is it? And, uh, ah, these are these are the noises, the, the grr and the arr, and then the, I can't even remember what they were, but it was just like your delight was what made that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with it. I think it's um, maybe, maybe one of my favourites we've had in. Um, so, yeah. Uh, also another favourite is our Micro Game of the Month this month. Yes. Is by um, the, the, the lovely and um, uh, incredibly talented uh, Mike Hutchinson of uh, Gaslands yeah. and A Billion Suns fame. Uh, he challenged himself. I don't know if you saw the um, pitch battle. Yep, Rule of Carnage. Uh, Rule of Carnage pitch battle video that we had up on our Spring Showcase show um, earlier in the year. One of the ideas that was pitched was a non-combat skirmish game. Uh, and he's gone and done it, and we're printing it in the magazine. Woo! Um, it's really, and it's really funny. He does a regular thing with... Um, so that Rule of Carnage yeah. is Glenn Ford and Mike Hutchison. Um, and it's such a fun watch because yeah. they're very clearly like they, they talk about the industry but they're they're very clearly mates at the same time yeah. so they'll take the mickey out of each other and they'll have a bit of banter and it's just it's really it's a really nice watch anyway so we've got a couple of episodes of it up on our youtube channel but they've now got their own youtube channel rule of, i can't remember if it's rule of carnage or rules of carnage but either way search and it'll come up i think it's rule i think it's rule mm. um but yeah you can then uh, go see that and various other bits that they've done because they're just a really fun watch they're just really nice yes. to see together um, uh, just very entertaining they sort of mm. bounce off each other very nicely uh, uh, and then our, our painting guide is the uh, Bloodborne painting yes. guide uh, we've got an upcoming podcast to uh, for you to listen to while you paint your Bloodborne miniatures using our guide I play a game with myself because I'm, I'm not I'm not a painter um, so when I then look through the painting guide to check mm. for like general proofing um, I try and work out what the colour is without googling it mm-hmm. so some of them you're like I don't know blah blah blah, blah, blah grey and you're like ah that's a grey I can do that and then they've got something really ridiculous like I, oh, I can't even think of an example now 
And starting it'll a list be, of them. Because they're all Citadel ones. We use it, that's our sort of standard. So there, it will likely be something like... Um, uh, oh, s- <laughs> See, as soon as you try and think of it. Well, them. I was going to do one, but it's definitely wrong. So it would be like um, Flesh of Corn. Flesh of Corn. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess green? Uh, no, that would be like probably uh, red. What? Because corn's like the blood god in... Um, in, in uh, see, yeah. I've been watching Dimension 20, so I just think of the corn cuties and think actual <laughs> corn. Um, so, maybe not the case. But you see what I mean? Like, what's the ones I've... Ah, I wrote them down somewhere and I can't find them now. Um, but yeah, I just, I try and guess what they are and then I look at the picture and I'm like, well, good job I'm not painting because that would have ended disastrously. Mm-hmm. Did you not want to be pink? Why not? <laughs> I thought that's what it was telling me. <laughs> Um, but no, they're they're very good. It, it's a they're they're the kind of thing I aspire to do. Yeah. Um, but I'm too scared I'd mess it up. Yeah. To be honest, so. I mean, this is going to be one of those painting guides that I might actually do. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, I have to make might have to make the colours up, mix my own colours, but. Uh, Whereas I've immediately wussed out. So um, I got to take a look at the Raptor Riders for mm. the Wadroon, um, which is all part of Conquest and Parabellum, and they're absolutely fabulous. And I'm so excited by them. Um, but there's someone in the office that works there that's um, very good at painting, very good at putting them all together. And I immediately was just like, do you want to do these for me? That would be great. So I'm hoping he'll return at some point. With This is a shout out to Luke. Shout out to Luke. He um, does a glorious job. We think. I've never seen it, but I believe uh, he does. His, his, paint, his painting is very, very good. And he was quite excited about the, um, he, he said, the texture is quite good, yeah. which is quite high praise. Yeah. He made um, a whole <laughs> thing about the, the yeah. I don't know. He explained it all to me, um, and I agree that they're they're very good quality and they're very like in depth and stuff. Um, but he explained to me his painting techniques, and I am always baffled. Like I think they sound glorious, but I'm like, how do you how do you know to do that? Like the foundation stuff, fine. But he's mm-hmm. like, oh, and then I'll just put light here, and then I'll add this in for shadowing, and I'll put that. And I'm like, how do you know where to? What? Mm, I can't do it. Can't do it. So yes, shout out to Luke, who will hopefully appear at work at some point with some Raptor Riders that yes. I can. Doing Annie Norman and rare. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, and we've got some other stuff in the issue. I think. Yeah, there's you know. There's some stuff. I mean, there's this huge thing. Odd. There's this huge thing about party games um, <laughs> that I've I've glossed over because I don't want to give it all away. I want you to go buy the magazine uh, and then get absolutely furious with me and tweet Charlie. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, <laughs> Again, please address all tweets. Fao, Chris. <laughs> Um, Save me from this because I know when I do the videos, I'm going to put a disclaimer in the, at the beginning of each video and just be like, "This is Chris's list. Just, just be aware." I, I can imagine the the anger I'm going to receive for not including things or Absolutely. stuff. In. It's it, for me, it's great because I I love party games. So doing the top fifty meant I got to go through and go, "Oh, actually, I mm. quite I quite want to play that. That sounds yeah. great." Um, so I've got a little wish list, and something I love that we we've included a tick list at the end. Yes. Love that. Um, so I'm going to be sat there with my little pen when I get my copy and like tick off. Yep, yeah, I've done this one, and then highlighting. Yeah, we want these ones. That's it. Yes, it's the Argus catalog version of. Yes. Um, in fact, it's actually quite a good. Yes. It's actually quite a good use of it. I should have <gasps> probably started with that. To be honest. Uh, <laughs> I once worked at Argos. That's good. That'll be good nostalgia. I'll come. I'll yeah. get a little pen. I'll have to get yeah. the little pencil mm. to do it in. Yeah. Because the obviously you can't have the little pens anymore because they went ages. The, the little pencils are still right. important. Let's let's give those a little tip. Um, and yeah, circle them. Distribute it as a wish list. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Good enough to for Christmas, please. <laughs> Um, and uh, we have a load of reviews, like we always do. Yeah. But most importantly, we've got a really big, juicy uh, two-page review of Oath, yes. Chronicles of Empire and Exile. I so want to play this game. Which um, is uh, one of my most anticipated games of the year. Um, it is, uh, we did a cover on it last year, but I'm incredibly excited about it my copy is bobbing in the sea somewhere at the moment uh, so i'm not quite sure when that's going to land on my desk but but that's fine um because uh Dangelin, the wonderful Dangelin, uh has um given it uh given it a spin several times because it is a legacy game yeah. um, kind of legacy game anyway um and written up a um interesting review in the end yeah really interesting i i think i said to you i was like i read through the review and i, f- I feel almost conflicted about it because he's Spoiler alert, it got a must-play, which means we're giving it the best we possibly can. Absolutely. Um, but there's a couple... There was more caveats to it than I anticipated mm. for what we generally see in a must-play game. Generally, if you're racing must-play, it's because you're like, oh, my God, you have to play this. This mm. is amazing. Here's all the reasons why it's absolutely astonishing and exactly why everybody should be playing it. Um, whereas this was a little bit more maybe hesitant because there are bits that people won't like in terms of... It's not for everyone, but for those it is, it's a massive must play. Yeah, it's you know it's it's just cold early. You know, it was always going to be a game for gamers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there was never going to be a chance of it being. Um, well, it was ne- there was never going to be number one on our um, best fifty best party games of all time ever. <laughs> uh, um, it was never it was never going to quite be there because it was always going to be um, something uh, very deep and complex and really interesting. Um, uh, but yes, it, Dan sort of it is a strange review just because it does come out as it's a masterpiece. Yeah, here's exactly why. But also, not everyone is going to want it in their collection. Um, but for those of us who are interested in games, it's absolutely you must have a copy at mm-hmm. some point in your life. Um, for those who, I guess, for those who don't know, um, it's a. It's a kind of legacy game, kind of exploration, empire building sort of game-ish. Um, quite abstract. One person starts as the overseer, the chancellor, sorry, who is in control of the world and is up to the other players to try and wrestle that control from them through either completing uh, visions, uh, which are secret until a point where they're revealed and then everyone gets there like a a couple of turns to try and scupper their plans um, through you know, military might and all the rest of it. But the Chancellor obviously has so many more advantages from for, from being in power. Also, the, the Chancellor can offer things like citizenship to other players, um, meaning they sort of join the Chancellor's side and they kind of win as well, unless they're really clever, in which case they can topple the Chancellor from that point as well. It's all, and it's it sounds, well, it sounds like the perfect game for playing over and over again with like maybe the same group of people or the yes. same rotating group of people because what you do is at the end of the game you put the um, you put the world away in a certain order based on what's been retained um, depending who won um, the next game starts with um, the way the last player won um, so there's no oath that they take and that's the starting requirement for that winner um, so yeah, your win condition changes every time you play it um, but then you may, you may add cards and remove cards from the deck um, the event deck and the location deck and that sort of thing um, to be able to 
to mean the next time you play it's going to be slightly different but in the world's but the world sort of changes around you as well and it really reminds me I'll tell you what it really reminds me of it really reminds me of um, and this is a weird throwback and there's going to be like three people that know this but they're, they're, Sega used to have this concept of something called A-Life which is artificial life in um, some of their 3D games um, where things could grow organically in the background while you were doing this depending on how you interacted with the world um, it would change and how you performed generally in the games um, it would change like the world around you as you see them, um, which is cool mm. um, and it's kind of like that it's got kind of this sort of persistence to it um, which I'm uh, absolutely in love with and um, I think Dan might be too yeah, yeah. well you gave it a must play so I should hope so I hope so yeah um, <laughs> but yeah so uh, that's um, that's probably the, the biggest review an issue um, we've also got a review of the new D&D release. Yes. Uh, which I'm going to say wrong because yeah. I've been because I've been pluralizing parts of it completely completely uh, wrongly. So it's Van Richten's guide to Raven Loft. Yes. That's it. Uh, sometimes That's it, definitely not what you called it on the flat plat though. No, it was it was um, Raven's Loft and Von Richten I think you called it something like Von Richten's Loft on yeah, the on the flat flat. Yes, just there was like a you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And we did. Um, yeah, we've got a review of that in in the issue. That looks uh, very cool. Plus a bunch they've of other got, They're busy right now. Oh, they've got a lot yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they've got two new books coming out. They've got the um, Dark Alliance coming out. That's mm-hmm. the video game. They've got a DM's challenge. That's going to be. I'm good. I'm fascinated to see how they're going to run that. That's mm. like a competition to find the best DM. Yeah. Which they'll then announce at D and D Live. Um, but they're they're sort of like they're not being particularly specific about what each stage entails. So I'm mm. quite fascinated as to how that'd be. And I've given a nudge to my DM to be like, Are you going to do it? I think you should. Enter. Are you going to do it? Oh, what with my experience of DMing Magical Kitty Save the World. Yeah. Oh, yeah, why not? Okay. It's totally translatable. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I do like competitions, like the ideas of comp- some sort of like, yeah, DM off. Yeah, How does that fascinated. Work? Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's just player votes, isn't it? I would imagine so. Yeah. But then what, what challenges are you going to... How are you going to test a DM? Like, yeah. How do you make one scenario better than the other? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping... Like, they've said it's going to be almost like a... I can't remember how they explained it, but I came away thinking it was going to be almost like a almost like a reality show style competition, like The X Factor or mm-hmm. Britain's Got Talent, but not because obviously it's a D and D spin. It's going to be totally different. But in terms of like stages and progressions and challenges and things that they have to do, though that side of things is is there. So I don't know how much of it they're going to televise, not televise, but like put yeah. on YouTube for us to watch. Yeah. Um, I don't think the early stages are because it's just an open call to anyone. Yeah. So that's going to be that's going to get crowded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see that. I think that'll be really fun to fun to watch. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Um, there's lots of cool D and D stuff coming. Mm, new uh, Critical Role series as well. Yeah. Oh, what is it called? I've completely forgotten. Xandria Unlimited. Xandria something something. It looks super cool. They've got a new DM in, and she looks epic. Um, but it's also only three. No, it's only eight episodes. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've never fully managed to get into Critical Role because the commitment is... is There are so many episodes. Yeah. There's so much time. Um, whereas this is only eight episodes, so I'm like, ah, mm. oh, great, I'll definitely tune into this one, mm. get a feel for it, and then sort of look back. Um, but, yeah, they've got... So Matt Mercer is now going to be the player. Nice. And not the DM, which I think is... 
he's done it before like i've seen him in other things but it's quite nice to to know uh exandria unlimited cool so i knew i knew it was something like that yeah. um but yeah that looks very cool yeah. that looks fair i'm very excited about that it's gonna be great yeah um we are, yeah we're, we're excited about all this new D D stuff and yeah. i should mention that um we have a uh a D D scenario coming in the uh, summer holiday issue on the magazine, Woohoo. which is hopefully uh, hopefully dropping mid July. Yeah, sort of in time for some holidays. It's going to go out to all the kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is our free issue that we we put out digitally. Um, originally originally planned uh, to be uh, distributed amongst educational uh, say educational facilities, which makes it sound kind of um, kind of scary. But actually, yeah. I just mean schools. Yeah, uh, it's for secondary school. Uh, kids are saying that getting people uh, uh, of the uh, you know education variety into into board games in a very um, cheap and cheerful way. And there's lots of tools for getting started. There's um, there's us- we usually have a little war game in there. We have lots of our um, micro games from issues past. Uh, we have a, as I say we have a D and D scenario in this issue, uh, and it's going to be great. Just um, stuff to do, isn't it? It's just stuff to do, um, and it's not all for kids. Uh, you can you can even read it as an adult. Oh, I enjoyed the last one. It was really good. <laughs> I really enjoyed <laughs> it's that. It's legitimately one. <laughs> really, really good. Uh, and it's all done. There's no charge. It's completely free. Yeah, just a download. Everyone who's uh, contributing to it is doing it just for the love of the game. Uh, you know, they're just, just for funsies. Uh, and there's, you know, we just do it as an extra bit of effort on our part as well. So, mm. um, so yeah, we're hoping to uh, get that spread out as well. Um, and I'm just going to very quickly talk about one of my reviews. Oh, go on. Um, which is the Vienna Connection. Uh, yes. Yeah. I should have known this was coming. Yeah. So this is <laughs> the new, this. Uh, the new uh, Portal Games uh, detective system game. Um, but this time, you're a spy. Uh, and it's Spy Times, by which I mean the Cold War. Um, and <laughs> peak spy time. It is, peak, it is pretty much peak, peak spy time. <laughs> um, yeah, you're a bunch of spies. And you're doing some spying uh, in, like, Germany and the Czech Republic and places like that in Eastern Europe. Um, and it's uh, it's really, really good. Um, maybe, maybe my favourite of their detective system games mm-hmm. so far. Um, it's the one thing I'd say before anything is you don't get the kind of closure you get on the detective cases in, like, season one. Like season one kind of tells you how you did at the end of your case. Um, you know, like you kind of know whether you locked up the wrong person, as I did, um, <laughs> oh, no. and that sort of thing. Like you know, you know you've done bad. You know um, this because it's an ongoing campaign across um, four or five missions. Um, you are you are kind of like adding bits to the story, and you you have to work out what the story is. Um, because that's the whole point. You have to go gather intelligence, work out what's going on, and then, like, take actions on those things in the usual detective way of, like, you spend a couple of resources to, like, uh, change things. When you go to a certain area, you'll um, cross out um, or tick off uh, boxes um, representing, like, you're you're spending, in this case, you're spending exposure. Um, In in the detective games, you're spending your, like, time Mm. before the case goes cold. Um... And uh, apart from a few typos and a, s- a slight vagueness for the, for the for the people who really want like um, to know whether they did good or not, 
um, is fabulous because it's it doesn't take itself too seriously. People are um, like they're smoking like fifteen cigarettes at a time. <laughs> um, they're you know doing all, all sorts of spy shit, um, and uh, and it's just like the atmosphere is perfect. Um, you, it always all it's no, it's almost none of it is digital as well, which. Um, uh, it doesn't really matter because the, the digital imp- implementation of the detective games is very, very good. But in this case, you are only entering codes um, to say which bits of information you've unlocked for the story to continue for your campaign. That's that's all that is, um, and that's and that just means that instead of looking up things in the database and doing things like video, because obviously with, in the Cold War, the the quality of um, recordings and things. Uh, it's not quite there. There isn't an internet in quite the same way. Um, although they're sort of like uh, nods towards it, interestingly, in, in the story. Um, uh, you get this big wadge of paper. You get like 100 sheets of files that you look at. And so your your table that you're playing at with your, your buddies is just covered in case files, and it looks legit. And you feel like an actual de- like an actual spy or an actual detective, like going through the information and stuff like that. Uh, the missions are massively varied. They've got things like um, you do you have missions where you like very clearly the or to me it felt like it um, very clearly you're like on the ground. You're going places. You're talking to people. You're probably going to get beaten up by someone, <laughs> um, but you're going to like get a lead from it, sort of thing. Um, it's fabulous. And but then there's also missions where you have um, where you're kind of just listening to the radio which sounds very stupid but um actually you're you're picking up all this intelligence and then trying to piece things together like who are you're trying to work out who out who these people are um because they're using code names obviously people using code names you know um and that's as fun that's as fun as the time you like um but I'm I'm pretty sure that we accidentally recruited a gangster into the CIA, <laughs> uh, which is not unusual for the CIA, but it's probably not very helpful for us winning helpful for us winning the game. Um, all of this stuff is just so open ended feeling, and uh, the game says you know you should play each case in like sixty minutes or something like that. That's like the usual runtime. We played the first case for like three hours because we were just like absolutely hammering through every little every little piece of um, piece of the game. You know, there's because you can take directions from things like. He has a strong accent. She has a vague German accent. And the thing is, you know, that piece of information there tells you that that person has an accent, like from um, uh, an Austrian accent, whereas she's a foreigner in the country you're in. Right. And like, so you can pick up things like that and run with that thread, and then that actually takes you somewhere. That actually takes you somewhere <laughs> because you made the connection without having to, like, you know, put some numbers into a database. It's just so good. Anyway, so I really recommend the Vienna Connection. So, I think that's just about it. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, so, buy the magazine. Buy the magazine. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, if you want to know what the party games are that you should be playing, this is the one. Yeah. Um, tick box included. Tick box included, yeah. You can literally tick all the boxes. You can. Probably. Take you a while, there's a lot of games. There's a lot of games. That's it. Uh, I'm going to attach to the end of this a small interview with um, Steve Medway from Blood on the Clock Tower. Nice. Uh, and we have a chat about Blood on the Clock Tower it's, and its final arrival because it's been hovering around gaming for quite a long time now. Long uh, anticipated. It should be here this year. Um, <laughs> and people can finally play it um, in a sort of retail home environment that isn't at a trade show 
or uh, otherwise. It's so nice. That's it. Right. So um, thank you very much. Uh, I've been Chris. I've been Charlie. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. How do you introduce yourself? I have I have no idea. I'm um, I'm I'm sort of I'm born of the counterculture school where you are not your job, and sort of introducing yourself with a with a pseudo resume is really really weird for me. But um, my name is Stephen. I am the designer of Blood on the Clock Tower. I've been I've been uh, designing board games as a hobby for about ten. Uh, 10, 12 years or so now, and Blood on the Clock Tower is the first big, the first really popular uh, game that I've designed that's become a big hit and is going into production. Uh, hopefully the first of many, but um, I am a Sydney, Australia resident, and um, I like to I like to try new things. I, uh, been to, I've been to university and studied a whole bunch of stuff and then dropped out and lived lived an interesting life um and you can fill in the blanks since since then um and board games is something that i just sort of fell into and found that i was pretty good at it's a passion i really enjoy it and the games i design tend to be pretty popular so and here i am on your podcast uh, <laughs> unexpectedly out of the blue <laughs> that's right um yes yeah, so, and we, we you know if anyone is listening at home right now they might they might feel there it's like a slightly different energy between us i have got a uh, 9 a.m energy uh, I believe you've, you've you've got sort of four pm energy. Uh, oh, really? Something like that. So I think. Is I think, that what you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, what time? What time is it there? I am. Um, no, it is. It is four pm. Yeah. It's five pm. It's just that I have had. Uh, I have not had all. Not had. Not had all of the sleep. So I'm very, <laughs> very much feeling um, nine pm. Nine am rather. Are, are you, you feel no, like... nine pm? Take take your pick. Take yeah. Your pick. <laughs> Yeah, so um, we're 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 a whole day apart nearly, um, and uh, so yeah, um, so we, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Blood on the Clock Tower, uh, mostly I think, um, which is a uh, which is sort of travelling through the internet uh, over this last year, particularly like wildfire, as people, um, especially as people are were desperate to play something over the internet that they could play over the internet, um, which I assume isn't how you conceived Blood on the Clock Tower. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it, it's a it's a sort of um, I suppose we call it a social deduction game, don't we? At its heart, I that's the term that I've been using: um, social deception or social deduction. Um, it's not really. Oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like every band that's been interviewed and said what what and the question is what genre are you? And they say, well, we don't really fit into a genre. We're we're really cross genre and we're doing something avant garde. It fits into the social deduction genre, but I didn't really design it as a social deduction game. It's I just designed it as a game, I, the game that I wanted to play, uh, kind of like a puzzle game, more more like a more like an escape room or uh, a mis- like a, a livable mystery novel than a sort of social deduction game. And um, I sort of deliberately I deliberately stayed away from other other games in the genre because I, I didn't want to didn't want to be in, influenced by them I just wanted to create something that was yeah my own thing something unique but I think um I think it fits sits firmly in the social deduction genre in the t- in terms of you're trying to figure out you've got good good team and bad team and you're trying to figure out uh who's on your side and who isn't um very werewolf mafia style 
but I've tried to move away from the what I, my experience with other social deduction games is that they they tend and, and again this is just what I've played and I haven't played a lot but they tend to be rooted in um, calculation and suspicion and those 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 kind of emotions where I, I wanted blood on the clock tower to be more of a social fun game so but you can play it either way you can play it as a hardcore social deduction or you can uh go go straight into party mode and not take it too seriously so a little bit of both it's definitely a very social game isn't it in the, in the sense of like um uh and well it's, and it's got it's got to be full of suspicion surely uh, I mean, you have to be suspect of some people because there's actually demons amongst you. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I just, I just didn't want the, I just didn't want the dominant emotion to be paranoia, anxiety, suspicion, that type of stuff. I wanted it to be. Look, look at it this way. Um, in a lot of, in a lot of comedy, there's the, uh, there's a comedy duo is the, is the, the, you have a, a very goofy character, a very chaotic character, and the straight man, and the, and the, the straight man provides a bit of counterbalance. To make every it makes everything else seem funny because the straight man is the context. So I think I think with Blood on the Clock Tower, the game itself is plays it straight. It's a sort of gothic horror uh, setting, and within that setting, uh, sort of goofiness and laughter and team building and trust and mucking around and 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 sort of that it comes out of that that type of stra uh, straight laced environment. So. Uh, and, well, I suppose we should actually introduce the game a little bit. Uh, a demon is on the loose, killing uh, by night and taking on human form by day. And the demon has a, a, a cohort of nefarious minions uh, to help them out. Uh, all of the, t the Most of the players are good townsfolk. Uh, a couple are outsiders. Uh, townsfolk have helpful abilities. Maybe they get information. Maybe they have a special power, such as the slayer who can slay the demon or... The empath, who knows how many evil players they're sitting next to, whereas an outsider in the game will have uh, an ability that just sucks. You have uh, a lose condition that you need to avoid, otherwise your whole team loses, or you appear to be evil. So it's a it's a game at its core is good versus evil and team building, finding out finding out who's good, finding out who's evil, killing the killing the evil people, hopefully, or destroying the town if you're evil. Um, in one of the big differences, though, is the sort of the outsider and the minion roles, where the outsider is on the good, you're on the good team, but your ability is just awful. Uh, and for the evil team minions, you have uh, very powerful abilities that uh, tend to make the good team's information false or otherwise um, cause some havoc, but you're expendable. So you can. Um, uh, as long as you protect your demon, you can win the game, but it doesn't matter if you die. So you have this weird, weird, weird dynamic where you have some evil players that don't mind dying, some evil players that do, and same situation for the good team. So I, I, I like to phrase it as a gothic mystery puzzle, puzzle game. But um, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good overview. Yeah, uh, and it's also got a um, a wild player count. Uh, one of those ones I like, where it's you know, it's, it's five to twenty players. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, so <laughs> uh, which I, I always think of as um, obviously right right now in the UK, uh, uh, not something uh, people are doing together in in the same room, uh, but lots of people are playing it online. Um, so you, you mentioned a few of the roles there. Um, I wondered if you could sort of 
take us through the kind of like narratives that turn up because it because it feels sort of like a um, uh, it's got like a little bit of an improv feeling to it having these having these different roles which are much more different than just like you're on different teams and you don't know who each other is. Oh, first of all, the the improv element is something that's totally up to the players. Like I've I've seen quite a few uh, videos online, um, uh, particularly Adam Blampede's uh, No Rolls Barred videos, where they they really do the they you know they they of, often get in get, get into character or really sort of ham it up, and it um it's a nice touch, but that's not necessary at all. The kind of stuff that happens in the game is usually. Um, if you've got say, if you've got say, seven, eight, nine players sitting around in a circle, the conversation will be usually a little bit tentative at first. You'll have a, a few players uh, come out, come out swinging, saying, "I am all right. Let's let's get the ball rolling. I am the fortune teller. Last night I detected." I chose Dave and Sally, and I know that ni- neither Dave or Sally is the demon, so we are. I trust I trust Dave and Sally, and then um, the investigator will say, "Actually, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm the investigator. I have I in my investigations last night. I learned that we have a poisoner in the game, and I learned that either the the player claiming to be the fortune teller or the player who has claimed to be uh, the saint is the poisoner. So it's quite likely that you're poisoned." Uh, and therefore your information is false. So it, it may very well be the case that either Dave or Jill is the demon and we should definitely kill them. And then the group will talk, oh, do we believe the fortune teller and do we believe this information and therefore we keep Dave and Jill alive? Or do we believe the uh, the investigator who is claiming that the fortune teller is lying or even uh, good and has misinformation? So you end up, and as the game and then the the players will vote on who they think. Yeah, then we'll then we'll talk to the uh, talk to the other players in question, and they'll have their say. And they they'll say that's crazy. I'm I'm not the demon. I'm the um, to use the empath example. I know that uh, I know that one of my neighbors is evil. Which and if my information is true, um, then the investigator is also, is lying because there's no way that the uh, there can be that many evil players in the game. So you'll sort of have one or two players that come out with a, a piece of information uh, related to their character, and then it sort of snowballs, and everyone else will say, "Ah, I've got information which make that which corroborates that." Ah, oh, my the information that I got, I learnt something, 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 um, and that all paints a paints a pretty damning picture of one or two players, or uh, a or exonerates one or two players, and then other players will come in and say, "Actually, this seems like it might be true, but drunkenness or poisoning." And for those who are um, not familiar with Blood on the Clock Tower, drunkenness or poisoning—if you are drunk or if you are poisoned in the game—there is a character called the drunk and a character called the poisoner. You do not know that you're drunk or poisoned, and any information that you get uh, is probably false. The storyteller is just lying to you, and your ability to, doesn't work. You think your ability works, but it doesn't work. So as the as these stories type to build uh, build like the monk will come out and the soldier or the mayor or the washerwoman will say I I trust this person completely. Uh, other players will come in and cast doubt, not because they're evil and want to sow confusion, confusion, but cast doubt because they have information about who's drunk and who's who's poisoned and therefore who's receiving false information. 
And so as the game as the game progresses, the various character, various players, and various characters tend to build up a bit of a a bit of a story about what happened last night. And the the story may go, ah, the monk who is claiming to have protected the uh, virgin uh, is also saying that their ability didn't work, which means they must have been poisoned by the poisoner. But if that is the case, uh, then uh, Evan, who is claiming to be the investigator, is lying because the, ca- the characters that Evan said are the poisoner are both dead. So therefore, either uh, Evan is lying or this other player is lying. So you, as the game progresses, you end up having a shifting worldview of what's true and what isn't as various characters come out uh, over the course of the game. And it's a ton of fun. If you, if you can lie, if you, generally speaking, if you tell the truth, uh, the story unfolds in a natural way with the execution of the demon. And if you, if you are uh, evil and you are lying, uh, the good players, you have, to, you have to lie craftily and subtly and the good players will hopefully uh, believe your lies and execute the wrong, the wrong people and build up a false story of what happened last night and the previous night and the night before that. But I like the idea. I like the idea where we've got. Um, you you just know that people's own personalities are going to come out in the characters that they are given. So being the drunk or being poisoned, um, uh, you, if you're a very confident person, you might not even believe that you you know, you because you, you, you don't know you're drunk, do you? Um, so you, so you could would then you could then like basically charge on. Um, with your theories and attempt to bring the group round in that sort of way that um, these social games go where you have a back and forth with people and um, you sort of have people's you know actual personalities sort of clashing um, uh, I mean is that, is that the case do you, have, do you have people sort of saying you know like no you're drunk and they, you know, that sort of thing um, to a degree like um, in any I think Blood on the Clock Tower more than any other game will encourage uh people's personalities to become a part of the game itself um that is mostly a good thing because um there are certain people uh, as opposed to characters that tend to be sort of social leaders or social social leaders or social followers and in games like this you tend to trust the person that you've always trusted if um you know, if if Bob is always the one that organizes stuff and is the loud the loudest voice in the room, you you tend to do what Bob says, uh, as long as you know, as long as as long as Bob is respected. Um, and in in Blood on the Clock Tower, Bob will probably be taking a leading role, no matter what his character is. And it's if if Bob gets a very if Bob gets a very powerful character, then the evil team, uh, powerful good character, then the evil team is certainly. Uh, has caused to sweat some bullets. But um, the interesting thing is that because evil works in the shadows, you can, you can turn Bob into an agent of, into someone who's working against his own interests by acting in the shadows, for example, by poisoning him or by, making his making making uh what's bob saying um sound false uh and you can you can do that you can do this in the game without 
personal without with, without it being a personal attack uh, there are a lot of characters in the game up even good characters that make other information false or that encourage people to lie uh, one of my favorite games uh, as an example of this is that um a, a lot of a lot of um a lot of new players at, at the end of the game really find it hilarious when they find out that they were the drunk the whole game um and that's that's something they that's something they certainly play into because because they'll um they were, they were spent 45 minutes, you know, with their, with their head in their hands trying to figure out what the hell's going on, absolutely exasperated because they know for certain who the demon is. They absolutely know for certain. And um, and they get to the end of the game and everything that they knew was wrong. And it can be a really, it can be a really humbling experience. Um, and I, I had, uh, had one player say, just because you were loud does not mean you were right. <laughs> And it's um, yeah. So it's um, you you can sort of play the character or you can play the player as well. Um, but what I like about Blood on the Clock Tower is that it's more about the game and less about less about the person. You can you can have fun with the role, but simple force of personal simple force of personality is not enough to secure a win. You you have to you have to work as a team. Everyone's only got a little piece of the puzzle, so you have to work as a team. Um. And what something that I've I've noticed, which is really interesting, you were talking about personalities coming out, is almost almost the opposite having uh, having taken place in a, in a few games, um, where a a player that talks a lot and is quite you know quite rambunctious will probably always be like that. But I've I've had a large number of players that have been very quiet, very timid didn't didn't want to didn't want to play the evil uh play on the evil team and just like i just just want to observe or i just want to you know fade into the shadows and they end up getting a very important role and if they're good the other the other players uh tend to treat them with respect and really listen to what they have to say and they become a part of the group and uh, over a few games sort of gain confidence and open up um i had i had one player who um sort of it was a big it was a big 15 16 17 player game might have even been bigger um and she said oh i'm just i'm terrified if i if i i just oh if i get an evil character i don't know what i'm going to do can i just have a good character i said look just you get what you get just sit down and enjoy yourself and she said look i'm, I'm probably not going to say anything i'm just going to sit 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 uh by myself and of course she gets the imp the the demon and she single like she single handedly took oh not single handedly she had help from her devious minions. The game went for that was a long one probably an hour and a half and and, and it got to the end and evil won and uh, this lady came up to me at the end and she was sweating and she looked she looked like she'd just come out of heart surgery and she said uh, Steve that that was the greatest experience of my life can I play again. <laughs> um, and after a couple of games, she like just really sort of really sort of came out of the shell and um, was a lot more uh, dr drunk, <laughs> a lot a lot more of the, the sort of uh, the, that kind of uh, rambunctious, drunk, uh, confident personality type. Even even though she started um, uh, the exact opposite, so. Yeah, so certain characters really do bring out uh, a person's personality, but um, it can also go the other way as well, where the exact opposite can happen. Yeah, that's it. I think I think um, I mean, that's one of the reasons we um, play games with new people. You know, often we 
um, often we play, you know, got our usual, you know, uh, board game group where we you know, have old friends that we, we speak to a lot. But when we have a new group, um, playing a game with people is one way to actually connect with people and work out where your actual connections with other people are. Um, and it's only through, you know, this sort of overturning of experience, um, you know, uh, overturning of like um, the things that hold us back. Uh, that we get, we get to see like what our actual connections are. You know that that person obviously like um, uh, likes you a lot more now. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. You know, um, not that they didn't like you before, but like they like you a lot more now because uh, you guys all had this like really tight experience together, um, full of you know high emotion uh, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was uh, like, and actually, it was all okay, even though it was probably quite scary at parts. Um, and uh, well, sp- actually, speaking of being scary. Uh, or at least, um, at least slightly uh, potentially scary. Um, we should talk about how things, you know, how things do go bump in the night in this game, uh, which is mm-hmm. I, so I, I believe everyone closes their eyes when night falls, um, as one does, uh, and uh, the the the, uh, the games master, um, which I know is the wrong term, um, in, invites people to begin their begin their sort of night's work. Um, so can you can you tell us about well, firstly, I every time there's a game where people have to close their eyes in a group, I think you are if you can get people to do it, it's magic because um, we don't do that around other people normally. <laughs> you know, it's not something we do very regularly, um, and so I think something weird happens to the group, and I think it's good. Uh, and then so I don't know if you you have any considerations or thoughts about that. And then the other thing is it, maybe you could just explain kind of um, how people start how the bodies start hitting the floor. Explain how the bodies start hitting the floor. Yes, that's it. Um. <laughs> what, like, like, sorry, what happens in the actual uh, yeah, yeah. game physically? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, maybe, right. maybe not. Yeah. It's just out of the field. Awesome. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, no, with the like with the eyes closed thing, it's just it's uh, people people do what when something's fun and everyone else is doing it and they see the purpose in it, like it's it's just not a problem. If I was to go up to somebody and say, like, I want you to close your eyes for three minutes, <laughs> that'd just be really weird. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, day phase. Uh, day phase, there's a day phase and a night phase of the game. And uh, during the day phase, uh, everybody just talks. There's a usually a like a physical circle of players sitting down and you can have private conversations. Um, when playing face-to-face, most talking is done in a group. So it's kind of like a just a... Uh, there's the ebb and flow of group discussion about who's what and you know i'm the investigator i'm the mayor blah blah blah. this is what i know you're lying type of stuff um night phase is where eyes eyes close the storyteller just calls eyes closed everybody please and um when you can still talk at night as a player but as the the storyteller uh, will have in one hand of the grimoire which is the box the game box with all the physical pieces saying who which player is which character, which player has which effect, such as drunkenness, poisoning, safe from the demon, that type of thing. Uh, and the storyteller will walk around and uh, tap people on the uh, on the shoulder or on the knee, and that is the signal for eyes open. And there's a couple of other hand signals, like uh, nodding, nodding, shaking the head, uh, or hand signals of like zero, one, two, three for numbers, that type of stuff, pointing um, pointing at particular players to choose them, that type of thing. And when the storyteller taps the demon, the demon opens their eyes, points to a player. The storyteller 
gives a nod and confirms and play the player goes back to sleep the next player sorry when i say back to sleep i mean closes closes his eyes again not literally not literally asleep <laughs> I really organise yeah. nap time. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. In this game, everyone is really going to sleep yeah. and really dying, but it's okay because everyone's really drunk as yeah. well. I, um, yeah, I like, I like that. that. This is the this the flip this yeah. is the flip of uh, you know if you if you die if you die in the game you try, die in real life. But it's, you know, um, sorry, gone. Uh, my apologies. That was a, 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 a silly little diversion there. <laughs> Yeah, and each player that is due to wake up it goes goes through something similar. You know, uh, the for, the fortune teller from example from before would choose two players, so they would point at two players, and then either get a nod or a shake of the head from the storyteller. Um, and the storyteller, when every player does this, will move uh, little felt back tokens. Uh, there's the grimoire is lined with felt, and the felt sticks to felt. Uh, to mark, all right, this player is dead, this player is uh, alive, this player is poisoned, uh, this player is being affected by this character, blah, blah, blah. Call for eyes open and then announce, oh no, Christopher has died in the night. And then, totally different Christopher, it's all good. Um, and Christopher is dead and he loses his vote for the rest of the game. And uh, but Christopher continues to participate. Uh, Christopher's dead. He's a ghost. He hangs around the town and he helps the living players win the game. So that's how, that's how that's how the bodies drop. Excellent. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, on um, I think it's on Board Game Geek. It, you, you put, so part of the uh, strap line is "Dead still play," which I think is <laughs> uh, just a nice way of saying uh, no real player elimination. Um, uh, although obviously not yeah, so good yeah. to lose your vote, but um, do, do um, Dominions still carry on as ghosts as well? Is that right? Yep. Every yeah. everyone uh, everyone who dies. What what I what I like to say is uh, when we're particularly when we're doing a game at a convention, uh, a lot of a lot of players come in with a a fear of a fear of dying in the game, or if because. In most games, when you die, you're out of the game, or it's otherwise not fun anymore. So what I like to say is, uh, in Ra in Ravenswood Bluff, most of you will die, and this is a good thing, uh, because when you when you die, uh, you still you still participate in the game, you still talk, you still uh, your ability is gone. So if you're the fortune teller from before, you no longer wake to choose two players. You learn nothing more. But you still have a vote. You still participate. Uh, most importantly, you still talk. So yes, the if you're dead, you might be a dead minion, and continuing to lie for an hour to say to keep your alive, which is hilarious. Um, and if you're and if you're and if you're good, you may your information is the information you got when you're alive is still useful. So um, you've lost your power, but you haven't lost your ability to work as a team. And the interesting thing is none of uh, your character is not revealed when you die unlike uh, a couple of other social deduction games uh, in clock tower it's kept it kept it's kept a mystery specifically so the minions can continue to lie after death um, and the interesting thing about the dead is that as the game progresses because the dead still have a vote they end up outvoting the living so a lot of smart players on the final day there'll be three players left alive one of them will be the dean and uh, if a lot of smart players won't even be talking to them, they'll be talking to the dead players because the dead players decide the outcome because they've got the the voting majority. So just because you're dead uh, doesn't doesn't mean it's game over, and it can 
in certain certain situations you actually want to die like the demon can kill himself to uh pass on their demonhood to a minion um which makes them look good so if you're evil and dead and trustworthy that's even that's even more uh sometimes more powerful than, yeah. than being alive i like that because it contains like um kind of like in a sort of very human way you expect dead people not to have quite strong motives about what they're doing um you know you you sort of kind of expect uh you would kind of expect the dead to let them they should be more trustworthy shouldn't they um like a ghost should be more trustworthy (laughs) or something um so this idea that yeah yeah a trustworthy dead person who's like they're not going to be able to like win the game well, they still are, obviously, but um, but like there's something in your head that says, "Well, no, you kind of you kind of lost in some way here um, because you were unlucky enough to have died." Um, so uh, so I'm going to trust you because obviously you're kind of objective now somehow. But obviously that's not the case. That's obviously not the case. <laughs> no, it's, it's often the reverse. Yeah, no, I um I don't I don't really mind. I actually don't mind player elimination games, but I do mind sitting around for hours for the next game. Um, when when you when you're out early um so it's sometimes it what what i've found is that people who are not gamers uh people who are just like i've run for parties or at festivals or whatnot and people who are not coming from a gaming background tend to not fear dying as much and just oh i'm dead all right what can i do now they have more of a uh uh an optimistic uh attitude whereas um uh, people who are sort of long-term gamers tend tend to come in with that the expectation that death is uh, d- death is game over, or it's sort of game over. Where Steve is just saying, "No, it's not game over," because he wants you to feel good, um, and that that does carry over to a lot of a lot of players will sort of look at dead players as trustworthy and just good. Oh, you're dead. You must be good. Therefore, I'll. Um, I'll trust you. And there's a, a local player, um, Abdullah, who pioneered the talk to the dead strategy where he would he would just he would talk to the dead players and he would talk to the new players. And if you were a new player and, and a dead player, then Abdullah had your undivided attention. And I asked him, Why are you doing this? And he said, um, well they they're new, they're figuring out the game and they need someone to talk to, and I'm that someone, and they're dead. Uh, and no one else is talking to them, so I, I'm going to talk to them. And if uh, if I'm good, we can work as a team. And if they're if I'm evil, they vote the way that I tell them to. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's a little bit of a hump to get over that. Oh my god, I died. Um, but it, usually, any for some players, it takes half a game. Uh, some uh, other players, it's a game or two. But once you get over that, like a lot of players, even just request their own death. They say, look, like kill me for for reasons A, B, and C because I'm better off dead. You, you you want me dead so that I can be, uh, I can be out of the suspicion pool. Or some characters like the Raven Keeper are actually trying to die. If the Raven Keeper can, uh, or the soldier can get the demon to uh, attack them, the Raven Keeper dies, and they learn something when they die. So, um, yeah, death is just it's just it's just not a thing. When when they learn something like that, how does how does that work? Is that who tell who tells them that the storyteller? Um, yeah, if you were the Raven Keeper, if you were the Raven Keeper and I was the storyteller and Evan, uh, was the, uh, the imp, the demon, everyone has their eyes closed. I would wake Evan. Evan would point to you, uh, because that's 
that's Evan's choice. He chooses you, goes back to uh, eyes closed, goes back to sleep. You are the Raven Keeper, and you are now dead. I will wake you up, and I will motion to uh, the rest of the rest of the seated people, the rest of the group. And you would you would you would go ah you would you would think all right I'm the Raven Keeper. I've just been woken. Storyteller is motioning me to pick a player. You would choose a player. Let's say you choose Amy. And then I would look in the grimoire and I would get Amy's token. In this case, let's say it is the chef. Amy is the chef. I will show you the chef token. And then you would go back to sleep. So you, Evan killing you has really hurt his own team. And you will wake up in the morning, I will say. Uh, and so do you prefer Chris or Christopher? Uh, Chris, Chris is fine. Chris. I, in the morning, I would say Chris is dead. And you would say good news, something like good news, everybody. I died in the night and I learned that Amy is the chef. What, what, uh, what a cracking bit of news! <laughs> yes, it's it's awesome. Great, yeah, it's serious. It's great news. I died in the night. This is this is what I was what I always wanted. Uh, she, she's and, the chef, and Amy is the chef. And Amy, and now that you know that Amy's the chef, you know you can trust her information unless she's drunk or poisoned. And and then Amy, Amy, and you will be best of friends for the rest of the game. Of course, if you're evil, you can just say that that happened. You can just. If you died at night and you're evil, you can just say, I was the Raven Keeper. I learned that Amy was not the chef. I learned that Amy was the spy. We can't trust Amy's information. So That's I, I really like that. I um I th- I and and so the way you, you describe it there of the way you show the way you learn information is all in, entirely silent at this point. Yeah, you know, at night things are silent, right? Um, yeah. No one's really... it's it's all silent. I just I just didn't want um it's easy to make a slip up when you're talking. Like the initial iteration of the game had, we would run down a list. We would say, you know, fortune teller, please open your eyes. Something, please open your eyes. Um, and it's it's easy to say. Um, well, I can, I can imagine uh, what I would do. Which it's is, quicker. It's quicker and smoother when it's just silent. I imagine so. myself saying something like, um, "Amy, open your eyes." I mean, sorry, I mean fortune yeah, teller. Yeah. Whoops! Oh, whoops! <laughs> yeah, yeah, game, yeah. Game, the game's ruined. Whoops! <laughs> I can, Amy, I can please open your eyes. Oh, sorry, sorry. I meant the fortune teller. Please open. Okay. Oh, fortune. The fortune teller has closed her eyes. Yes. I mean their eyes. Oh, damn it. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I can imagine that happening um, quite a lot. But I, I like this idea of um, people sitting around um, uh, in. I'm imagining a semicircle. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, and then it's just the thing of everyone having their eyes closed, and then there being this basically this, this slight rustling and movement in the middle. Of someone <laughs> showing people tokens, uh, or someone moving very close to you and tapping the person next to you on the knee and things like that, and just like um, it's like not you, it's not a usual a piece of information you have in a game. I don't think you don't have usually uh, spatial um, elements in this way. I don't think. I don't think you think. Oh, oh, it's it's not really it's not really a big part of Clock Tower either, to be honest. Um, it's. Uh, that kind of like that's pretty common in Werewolf and Mafia, and you can certainly use that information in Clock Tower. But um, there are so many so many characters, both good and evil, that are waking up that it's it's pretty unreliable because just just because somebody woke up or just because the storyteller passed close to you doesn't really mean that you're sitting next to an evil player or something like that. So what mo- most players just chat and crack some jokes of a night time instead of um <laughs> but it but i do sometimes i do sometimes deliberately block block the light 
um, if there's an overhead light, I'll just put the grimoire in front of the, the light so that someone gets a shadow so it looks like I'm uh, uh, a shadow <laughs> passing over their eyes. So it, lo- it looks like I'm standing close to them for some reason and I'm not. I'm just I'm just standing there not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. That's a, um, uh, <laughs> so there's a whole realm of mischief here, isn't there? Uh, which is uh, uh, quite jolly. But so... And that's, that was me there sort of imagining the physical version of the game. Um, but it's been really popular online, hasn't it? It's been wildly popular uh, over the it's last... It's been crazy popular, yeah. Last, uh, I guess, year or so, um, for some reason. Um, people have really taken to playing this game. Like, what's that been like for you, um, watching people sort of adapt it? Uh, painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't paid it, I haven't paid a huge amount of attention. Like, the level of... Uh, the level of work required to get a game that's already designed or mostly designed to a manuf- to the manufacturer has proved to be just astronomical. Um, so it's been Ben Ben Burns who has mostly handled the online stuff with a little bit of Evan as well. Um, and it's some stuff some t- some stuff uh, about uh, Clock Tower ports over really well to online play and some is some is pretty jank like there's quite a few characters that mess with uh uh, timing or uh mess with mess with core rules that it's very difficult to simulate in an online setting and also also online has uh has a lot more uh because of the because of the technical because of the technical limitations uh online you can't you can't have that um uh, that big, loud eight—you know, so eight, twelve players all talking at once in the physical space because you can you can physically pay attention, to, like visually and physically pay attention to uh, different people at different times. And online, you can only have one, one, maybe two people talking at once. So it's it's much more of a game of whispers and having private conversations. And uh, whereas the the physical is the the physical is much more like a party, whereas online is much more. You, there's a lot more sleuthing. Um, but over over the last twelve months or so, the online has exploded, and we've had a lot of like a lot of players have really really enjoyed um, online. And on online, you can it's a lot easier to create your own, uh, put your own characters together to create your own create your own scripts. And I've I've had some really fun games online. It's it's um it, it makes me wish I knew how to uh did I knew how to code as much as I knew how to design something <laughs> physical because it'd be it'd be so much easier. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. Just press the button. You don't have to get anyone to uh, produce some chips for you, do you? Uh, so, uh, uh, what I was thinking about the online section was uh, the online um, online play for the game is that it has the uh, sort of absolutely rock solid whispering function, which is you can text someone on WhatsApp or something. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that improves things or not. Um, but I think. Uh, uh, but I can I can imagine it's quite useful, less slip ups that sort of thing. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty useful. It's um, it's more it's yeah it's more on the side of useful. If 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 you've sort of got your etiquette down, it can be very useful and very fun. Just of just jumping into jumping into whispers and private conversations. Um, having I've got a really slow internet and it's a little bit awkward for me to do that to do that smoothly uh, but a lot, a lot of players really enjoy it 
right? My my personal preference is to have the the big the big group conversation uh, as the main conversation with the 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 little the little whispers as a uh, to to with the players that I'm literally sitting next to. Um, uh, for example, I had one game. Um, there's a character. I, I said, "Hey, Mariana, this is day one, Mariana." I'm the lycanthrope. And she just whispered back, you're full of shit, Steve. I'm the lycanthrope. And I trusted her the whole <laughs> And she had no idea. Like, she had no idea that I wasn't the lycanthrope and she was the demon and she won the game because because of that <laughs> tiny little whisper at the beginning of the game yeah. that lasted under five seconds. I was her, uh, I was her, basically her servant for an hour and a half. And I won, I personally won Mariana the game on her behalf. Um, so ha- having the, having those little whispers can be like can be really really fun, uh, particularly if you're evil and you can just get uh, a crucial piece of misinformation to the right person at the right time. That's, that's incredible. Um, um, Frankie Ballsy Bluff there as well. Um, oh, totally. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, a... Yeah, like if I was yeah, if if like if she just. Yeah, she just came out. No, you did. You're full, you're full of shit, Steve. <laughs> I'm the lycanthrope because because she was just so confident in her role. I trusted her. Mm. I went, all right, yeah, no, you're right. I'm not the lycanthrope. I'm this other character. I'll, I will tell you everything I know. That's great. So uh, the question I have to ask every designer, and uh, it's very unfair to ask when someone's Kickstarter is about to land, um, is I have to ask the uh, the tough question of what's next. What's next? Yeah. What, what you're designing that's next? A, what you're working a, on? That's a great question. Well, some people say I'm so I'm, ti- I'm so tired. Don't talk to me <laughs> about what's next. Yeah. <laughs> there's the yeah. There's the funny answer or the true answer. The funny answer is a tiny deck of cards that's easy to manufacture. <laughs> doesn't cost much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I've, I've I've probably got I've probably got about a dozen games that are all half finished that I would just love to make the next game. The, the next game is probably going to be, I've got a, 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 a comedy um, mafia comedy game called goons, which is sort of uh, like a diamond heist meets paper, rock, scissors. That's great. Type of game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where, you know, you've got to, um, uh, you're, you're all you're all goons, and uh, uh, one of you is one of you is the boss, and you have to decide amongst yourself who is the boss, who are the goons, uh, who's going on some rest and relaxation, and who's snitching on everybody else. And depending on what which roles you which roles you take in the game, so like a fast paced uh, beer and pretzels card game, um, about a half hour or so, and you've got to. Um, get get all the diamonds get all the money and buy all the cool stuff and retire in style at, at the expense of your fellow goons so that sh- that should be a ton of fun but um there's there's a few clock there's a few clock tower expansions um that have been uh on the back burner for a couple of years now that are um that are pretty advanced i'm not quite sure how they'll go, how they'll go um trouble brewing is beginner uh, most of the other ex- most of the other expansions, Batman Rising, Sex and Violets are intermediate, and I'd like to release at least one advanced uh, edition of Clock Tower because I th- I really think the the more hardcore players are really going to enjoy it. There's a a lot of 
very avant-garde stuff that's that's happening in the advanced edition and I'd, I'd really like to do and this this is this is the weird one um but uh kids a, a game for uh social deduction game for kids yeah I've run clock out rates jam on the clock tower I've run... <laughs> we do i, I want to go pirate themed oh, okay, pirate you, you okay. the point. nobody dies <laughs> There's, there's no there's no vulgar, no death and no vulgar, vulgarity or anything of the sort. But people do walk the plank and then they go splash and then they're not heard from again. But I've run I've run clock tower for I used to take it to a lot of festivals and um, and parties and sort of any uh, sort of nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen um, just absolutely love it. They're not uh depending on their intellectual development um they're not quite on the deduction level uh that a lot of adults are but they really enjoy the the lying the the lying aspect the the playful um deceive your friends type of aspect so that's yeah that's something i would like to do pirate pirate themed blood on the clock tower that is uh, that is enjoyable by all ages. Yeah, uh, that sounds great. Um, I, 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 I like the idea of uh, using the walk the plank as the uh, uh, the, the equivalent to uh, burn the witch, uh, etc. Yeah, uh, so. you, you walk the plank and you have a nice swim, yeah. and and that's all that happens. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, um, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, at all, I suppose we should send people to uh, the Blood and the Clock, Clock Tower website um, or the Pandemonium Institute uh, website. Uh, Blood and the Clock Tower is the way to go. Pandemonium Institute website's more of a placeholder, but um, Blood and the Clock Tower is the thing. 